No, it's probably just because wine is a lot more expensive than water. And if you're going to be giving wine to a whole bunch of people, you can stretch it out a little bit. It's like putting carrots in the stew. Uh, so, and, and ordinarily, we use fortified wine, which is a wine with a higher alcohol content. Uh, between that and the silver, uh, the, the expectation is that uh, we minimize the possibility of communicating disease. Now, this is something that I think is very important for us to talk about because our bishop has given us some instructions that I need to make sure I convey to you. Uh, in the past, it's often been the case that many people at St. Andrews have received by intinction. Intinction is when you take the bread and you dip it in the chalice and then you have both the bread and the wine together and you eat it. The problem with that is that it's virtually impossible to do that without somebody getting their fingers in the wine. I'm grateful for him, but I did not appreciate the fact that my friend Matt, who was the deacon at my diaconal ordination, counted the number of people whose fingers got into the wine. And uh, afterward, I found out, after having consumed the rest of the wine, that in fact, I also consumed whatever was on the fingers of 43 people. Uh, so there is that issue of, of sanitation. But the other thing is that we share one cup and one bread because what we do here goes all the way back to what Jesus did on the night he was betrayed. In fact, every time we celebrate the Eucharist, we recount that story. We tell again the fact that on the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Likewise, he took the one cup and he said, drink this all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. So while in some places as a, as a practical matter, so at St. Anne's, for example, uh, you had probably 300 people there, they needed to have three different communion stations, uh, and in that case they were simply uh, distributing the bread, we weren't doing wine yet. Uh, uh, while you may have multiple chalices that are used simply to get the, uh, get the elements out to everybody, if you only had one, it would take forever. Uh, next summer, by the way, we're going to host General Convention, uh, our church's General Convention here in Baltimore. Uh, if, if you are impressed by that sort of thing, you ought to see how they take 10,000 people and give them communion. It really is something. But fundamentally, we have one cup. We share one bread, and we have the one cup. And so our bishop has been clear that while some people for sanitary reasons during COVID were using the, the tiny little plastic cups, and we also during, uh, w when we had to uh, administer communion uh, uh, by giving people pre-consecrated elements, we gave you the little hourglass-shaped things with the wine on one side and the bread on the other, uh, we're allowed to keep doing that. I think we're going to keep doing that for, for home and hospital visits because it's frankly a very convenient way to do it. Um, but, but he does not want us to do that as, as the regular way that we celebrate the Eucharist. He, he is, wants us to, to remember that we who are many are one body, for we share in the one bread, and we take the one cup together. Now, the, the Eucharist starts, of course, with the priest standing behind the altar and saying, the Lord be with you, and the people responding, and also with you. This is uh, goes, goes all the way back to the earliest practices of the church where, 
where the, the, the priest and the people begin with a conversation of mutual encouragement and invitation. And then the priest says, it is right to give him thanks and praise. And then there's a, what's called a proper preface. Depending on the season of the year, there are certain prefaces to the Eucharistic prayer. Right now we're in ordinary time or green time. So uh, we've got uh, one of God the Father, one of God the Son, one of God the Holy Spirit. Uh, some churches, they always do the one for God the Father on the first Sunday and then the Jesus on the second, Spirit on the third. I actually like to come up here and call an audible. I, I will use the one that seems most fitting to me at the time. And then after that, I say, therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven for, who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. So this is the preface to our Eucharist. This is the preface the, the beginning part of the thing that we do together. And we all sing this to proclaim the glory of your name. Thank God we can now sing this again together rather than having to speak it. We sing, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And at that point, some people like to cross themselves I, I was taught in seminary that uh, that can distract us from the fact that it's Jesus who's the one coming in the name of the Lord, not me. Uh, so uh, blessed is Jesus who comes in the name of the Lord. If you like to cross yourself whenever you think of Jesus, that's perfectly fine. But one of the things about our Anglican worship is that there's diversity, and some people like to cross themselves and some don't. Some people like to come in. I do when I, when I come into the church, even when I'm here during the week, I'll... Uh, Put, dip my hand in the font and anoint myself with the, the, the holy water, which represents our waters of baptism. That's the means by which I'm able to enter. Uh, but we sing this together. And again, this goes way, way, way back to the earliest days of the church. And we say this together because this whole thing is a prayer. All of what we do is addressed to God. All of what we do in our worship is addressed to Him. When I first got here, these, uh, these candelabras were in a V-shape. And I said, you know, I like the idea that they'd be pointing up to Jesus. So I kind of set them up so that they were pointing to Jesus. And I came the next week, and they were back in the V-shape. So then I had them pointing back to Jesus, and now nobody's, nobody's messed with them since. But everything we do is pointing to Jesus, and everything we do is a prayer to Christ. Now, in some traditions, the priest celebrates facing east. This is liturgical east, uh, and, and uh, uh, the, the priest is standing essentially as a representative of the people standing on this side of the altar and praying to God. The way we practice it, and the way most of our churches do today, it's like this because it's kind of like we're all in the room together, and I'm simply leading the prayer that all of us are praying but we pray this, we give glory to God first and foremost. And then we give thanks to you, O God, for the goodness and love which you've made known to us in creation. You can follow along in your prayer books <coughs> if you want or in, in the green worship guides. But we give God thanks. We recount the story of salvation, the story where God created us and, and redeemed us. We tell the story of Jesus on the night he was betrayed. And we use those words of institution, the words 
Jesus said that the church has passed down for 2,000 years. And because of all of this, because he did this, we all say together, according to his command, we remember his death, we proclaim his resurrection, we await his coming in glory. So there are a couple places where the people join in with the celebrant, but most of the time I'm praying on behalf of all of us. That's why my hands are out like this, by the way. It's a, the orans or a prayer position. And then we offer our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, presenting to you from your creation the bread and the wine. These are, along with our money, gifts, our offering to God. There's no further offering, no further sacrifice that's needed. Jesus' sacrifice was a one-time offering of himself. The one oblation of himself once offered a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice for the whole world is how we say it in the right one prayer. But what we do when we uh, offer the bread and the wine is we offer this to God so that it can be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when I pray to send the Holy Spirit upon these gifts, the fancy name for that is epiclesis, the prayer is that by the laying on of my hand, which in a sense is representative of the laying on of the hand of my bishop who put his hands on me to ordain me, which in a sense represents the line of 2,000 years of people placing their hands on the next bishop and then the next and the next, going all the way back to Peter, that Christ's ministers are given this privilege and this awesome responsibility of asking His Spirit to make just bread and just wine the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for His people. Now, people have different understandings about what actually is going on when that happens. Some people would say the bread just looks like bread, but really it is the body of Christ. Others would say, well, it, it, it's still bread, but now it is also the body of Christ. And some would say, well, really, Christ is present as we all gather together to celebrate the Eucharist, but I'm not sure that that isn't just bread because you prayed some words over it. The great thing about being Anglicans is we decided several hundred years ago that instead of trying to kill each other over these things, we would just agree on the words and pray together. And I think it's, it, it's worked out pretty well. So, we, but we believe that Christ is truly present in the Eucharist and that he is really present in the elements, which is why uh, some people, when, uh, when, the, the, when, when the priest says, this is my body, uh, they will reverence the bread. Other people, like myself, believe that uh, we need to wait until the end of the Eucharistic prayer before we treat that as the body of Christ rather than just a piece of bread. But uh, once the prayer is concluded, having, having com completed our prayer and given glory to God, the bread and the wine are no longer just bread and wine. We don't treat them that way anymore, which is why at the conclusion of the Eucharistic prayer when we say amen, I always make a profound bow and I hold it because I'm reminding myself that I am now in the presence of Christ's body and blood. And when we have additional sacrament that we reserve, we put it in the ombre over there. There's a little light on over it. That, that light means Jesus is home. That means that inside that, that ombre, inside that little cabinet on the wall is consecrated 
bread and wine. So if you come in during the week to pray, some people like to pray in the presence of the host. And so then we conclude with the Lord's Prayer. I break the bread. And again, because now we are able to have one bread, it takes a little while to break the bread, so we sing the fraction anthem. Fraction anthem is not something you stand up and sing at the beginning of math class. The fraction anthem, like so much music during the service, is something you sing because there's some stuff that has to happen. Right? One of the reasons we sing the offertory hymn is because we need to get the elements from the back of the church up here. We've got to get everything poured. Uh, We've got to get everything uh, uh, you know, uh, ship-shape. So, um, so we pray that, and then I say the gifts of God for the people of God, which is what they are. And then I always add this great little tagline from the 1552 prayer book. This was added in as in the very first revision of the English prayer book. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. So what we do goes way back. And when we receive, we are receiving the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what, some people prefer to come forward and to kneel at the rail. Other people, kneeling is hard, so they prefer to stand. And we're so used to having everybody just walk up and receive just the bread from the priest at arm's length, your arm and mine, uh, that uh, it may take a little bit of getting used to. If you are more comfortable not having to stand by anybody else, hang, hang in the back and then you can come forward at the end. Um, if you're not able to kneel, come to, to either side and, and uh, the bread and the wine will be given to you. But when you receive, you place your right hand on your left and you make a throne for our king. You hold out your hands and you receive his body. Now, some people, they don't even want to touch it. And so they simply want the priest to place the wafer on their tongue. That's perfectly fine too. If you prefer to re receive by intention, if you really don't want to touch your lips to the cup that other people have touched their lips to, uh, then simply leave the host on your hand. And the chalicist will come by and will take it off of your hand, dip it in the wine for you, and give it to you. Otherwise, you can receive it, and then when the cup comes, you can either drink from it, or if you are simply more comfortable not having anything at all to do with this, at this point, you can reverence the cup. And some of my friends who are in recovery can't receive the wine, so they will simply bow, or they may kiss the cup on the outside. But you need to know that a valid Eucharist is made by receiving in either kind, whether you're receiving just the bread, or as I was talking with uh, uh, Kathy about this morning, we believe that baptism is the gateway to the Eucharist. So if somebody comes up with a baby in their arms he's, and has been baptized, I will dip my finger in the wine and put a little drop on his tongue because he can't take the bread. But that is a full Eucharist for him. And we also believe that spiritual participation, uh, as we practiced for so long when we were all simply tuning in, uh, or during the first few weeks where we weren't even allowed to distribute the bread. Only the priest could have the bread and the wine. The priest was doing that on behalf of the people. So we believe that that was valid even though it was irregular and weird and we're not doing it like that anymore because what we want to do is get back to normal. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. 
And the proper response when you are given the bread or the wine is amen. Because the person giving it to you will say, this is the body of Christ, the bread of heaven, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Some of us were raised to be polite, and we say thank you. I think of uh, Becky, who was the property manager at the church in Catonsville. She used to say, thank you, Jesus, when she got it. That's okay. You don't need to thank me. You don't need to thank David. You can thank Jesus if you'd rather not say amen. But when you say amen, you're agreeing that you are receiving, by God's grace, his precious son's body and blood. And then after we are done, any remaining bread is reverently consumed. And I wipe all the little crumbs off into the chalice, drink whatever wine is still there, and pour in a little more water just to make sure we get everything. It's called the ablutions. Now, some people go beyond that and they take the napkin and they wipe out the chalice just to make sure. I'm always happy to let other people do the dishes for me. But the reason we do that is that we do believe that this is the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not to be treated as common because it no longer is. Now the wine that's in the, in the, uh, the cruet, I, you know, I pour some in, some's usually still there. That, that's still wine. That's just fermented grape juice. In fact, today, I'm really excited about what it is. Because when all this stuff went down, I bought for our church two cases of wine. One was a case of champagne, looking forward to the Easter when we actually would be able to celebrate afterward, and we did enjoy that this year at Easter. But I bought a, a case of this stuff called Calculated Risk for the first Sunday that we would all be able to receive the wine together. Because it is a calculated risk. There are some people who are not yet comfortable taking the risk involved with sharing the cup, and that's fine. By the way, I didn't get a whole case just for us. I shared it with other churches, uh, and not all of them understood what that was for. I said, this is for the first Sunday we can all receive again. And then, so I gave one to the bishop for the cathedral, and the next time I saw him, he told me how good the wine was. I, I wasn't going to give him another bottle. But after this, we'll go back to using the fortified wine, and, which has the higher alcohol content. Silver is also uh, uh, a means of... of uh, uh, preventing disease, but you know, the fact is if it were unhealthy to drink from the common cup, priests would be the sickest people of all. Because after all, at the end, we drink what's left. And if it were likely that disease were communicated this way, a whole church full of people, we'd be getting sick. And on the whole, my understanding is we're actually pretty good risks from the uh, health insurance industry's perspective. But again, what we want is for you to participate in a way that you feel is worshipful, in a way that focuses on Jesus, and in a way that you are comfortable with. And if your concerns about, uh, about the pandemic mean that you're going to be too focused on disease and not focused enough on Jesus, then adjust what you're doing accordingly. Some of us developed comfort with going back to familiar ways very quickly. Other people, it's taking a while. 
But the most important thing is that in all of this, Jesus be honored. In all of this, he be praised. In all of this, his church maintain its unity, that we respect and be gracious to one another. And that will start in just five minutes or so when we share the peace. We're going to share the peace of the Lord. Some people are so excited to go back to hugging each other. Other people are happy to get back to shaking hands. Others have been dreading this day because they don't like people touching them in church. And if you would rather not shake hands, certainly if you'd rather not be hugged, just hold, hold your bulletin and smile and you can say hello to somebody, say the, give, share the peace of Christ. If you're happy to walk around and shake hands, you can do that too. But in all of this, the main thing is that Jesus Christ be praised. What we try to do here at St. Andrews is keep the main thing the main thing. I think we've done pretty well of it so far. And my hope is that as we get back to normal, and I don't, I'm, I gotta say, I'm thinking it'd be kind of fun to celebrate the Sunday after the 4th of July as get back to normal Sunday. You can even make it a high feast. I won't use incense, Pat, so you don't have to worry about that. It might be kind of fun if we, uh, if we did that. Either way, my prayer for all of us is that as we eat the bread and drink the wine, as we share together in this remembrance and celebration of the atoning sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, that our doing so would bring us closer to Him, closer to one another. We'd be transformed more and more into His image. Amen.